Hello, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. So today's part two of my two-part series with Professor James Goodwin. And as I mentioned, June is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month. So I brought Dr. Goodwin in to talk to us about the brain and about our sense of smell as it relates to the brain and importantly about brain health. And that's what this episode is going to focus on most, brain health. If you haven't listened to part one, I highly recommend you listen to that first, although you don't have to. But part one just gives you a really good foundation for what we're talking about here today. Now, I'm not sure if you remember Dr. Goodwin saying in part one that it's never too late to improve your brain health, not even when you're 90. So if you feel like you're forgetful or you have brain fog or you're worried about getting Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, well, today you're going to hear about the things you can do to offset that because there are things you can do. Just like keeping other parts of your body healthy, like muscle strength, your skin, your heart, there are things you can do to keep your brain healthy because your brain controls so many things like your thoughts, your memory, your emotions, your sensory system, including your sense of smell, your motor skills, breathing, your body temperature, hunger, and literally every process that regulates your body. So we agree that it's important to keep it healthy, right? I do want to mention that because I'm an aromatherapist, I just need to say this, that in this episode, when we talk about essential oils and using them for brain health, it's important that you use proper protocols. Essential oils are highly concentrated substances, and so you need to be careful when using them. So I recommend you work with an aromatherapist or you take some classes just to better familiarize yourself with essential oils before using them, okay? All right, let me just briefly reintroduce you to my guest, Professor James Goodwin. Professor Goodwin is the Director of Science and Research Impact at the Brain Health Network in London. He's also a Professor in Physiology of Aging at Loughborough University and the University of Exeter Medical School. He's also a board member of Optum Labs Alzheimer's Disease Research Initiative in Boston, and he's a founding member of the Global Council for Brain Health, a joint venture with the AARP here in the U.S. He's also written a book called Supercharge Your Brain, How to Maintain a Healthy Brain Throughout Your Life. I think you'll really get a lot out of this episode, so let's get started with part two of my conversation with Dr. James Goodwin. Enjoy. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Gagalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful, yet is so underappreciated. There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. All right, so let's get into brain health specifically. Can you tell me a little bit about the link between olfaction and in particular having a weaker sense of smell and neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's? Because there's a lot more research coming out these days about the link between the two, right? Well, 
sense of smell for a start is a huge early warning sign, a biomarker, as we call it, for, uh, for Alzheimer's. Over the age of 65, those people whose smell deteriorates very quickly on certain tests are twice as likely to get dementia in five years' time as those who keep their sense of smell. Okay. Do you know that? I've, I've read that, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's because... Uh, well, it's used practically because smell is easy to test. Yes. And smell really reflects this huge amount of processing that's going on in the brain. And if the processing is slowing down, the sense of smell will go down. Yeah. I can just imagine my, my listeners who've lost their sense of smell, right? Or we don't have a sense of smell. They might go, oh, do I have a, a better chance of getting... Alzheimer's or, or, or Parkinson's. It's not, that's not the case. It's just an indicator if you've had it's it. Just right? an, it's, it's just an indicator. Yes. Uh, and, um, uh, and I'd reassure all your listeners that it's only one of thousands of things that contribute towards Alzheimer's. Or yes. Dementia. Yes. It's just that it's a great test. Okay. It's one of the ones that we can really look at an eyeball and use to their advantage. So those people who do start to lose their sense of smell drastically over the age of 65, well, the good news is that because they know it predicts dementia, you can do all the things you have to do to prevent that dementia. It's not a death sentence. It's a signifier of hope. It's an opportunity, if you might say so. You know, it's yeah. an opportunity to... It, it is an opportunity. Now, the other big area that interested me for my book was to look at uh, essential oils, mm. and their influence on uh, neurology. Now, all the processes that go on in the brain to contribute to Alzheimer's disease, so the process that produces beta amyloid, uh, the loss of cholinergic uh, transmission, the appearance of neurofibrillary tangles, all these processes are all inhibited by, guess what, essential oils. Ah. And essential oils, there's, there's, I think there's something like 65 trials for the use of essential oils going on at the moment uh, for neurology and 15 of them for Alzheimer's disease. Essential oils, the, the, and, and one of them was carried out by my dean. I have an honorary chair at the University of Exeter Medical School, which is a pretty serious, highfalutin place. And they like to think to themselves, they like to think a lot about themselves. <laughs> and the wonderful dean of the medical school there is a colleague and friend of mine called Clive Ballard. He was the last serious academic person, I'd think, to write a paper on the use of essential oils for, uh, as um, for looking after de uh, dementia patients. And he took part in this uh, research team which produced the findings, used the findings on it. Yeah. So he found that uh, lavender, Angela and Melissa, which you probably know. Those yes. Oils, relieve the symptoms of agitation and reduce social withdrawal times, make dementia patients more sociable and calm calm them down. Now, I'm not sure that we know how, it, how, it, how they work, but we know that essential oils are um, uh, anti-oxidative stress. We hear a lot about oxidative stress. 
Oxidative stress is caused by certain molecules, which are the product of our normal cell chemistry, whizzing around the body, mugging anything they can find to get an extra electron. Okay. Because they've got an unpaired electron, these reactive oxygen species. They produce as a result of energy production in, in the cell. And then they go whizzing around the body, smacking other molecules in the face and stealing, uh, and steal, stealing an electron off them. And that calms them down. Well, what we want is somebody, we want, some, we want a police officer to get into the body, don't we, and start arresting all these. <laughs> I love it. Arresting all these um, uh, reactive oxygen species. And essential oils is that, um, is that police officer. So it'll go in there mopping up all these bad guys who are doing our brain a lot of damage. The DNA in our body and in our brains under, undergoes 30,000 muggings a day by these reactive Wow. Yeah, 30,000 attacks every day. Well, essential oils, we know they, there's huge amounts of evidence. Okay. Uh, Is so it through inhalation, Emma? It's not through top, topical application. It's inhalation, I'm imagining. Inhalation. So well, yeah. one of them would be uh, ginger oil. Ah, uh, species, right? Um, that was founded, discovered in 2011. In 2012, um, Zataria, anti inflammatory, antioxidative stress, and inhibits acetylene cholinesterase, which uh, is implicated in dementia. So, as a general statement, we say there are many essential oils which have been found to inhibit the chemistry of dementia or of Alzheimer's disease uh, uh, in, in the brains. Uh, another one, limonene, you probably know limonene. Oh yeah, so all the yeah, citruses limonene. for instance, yeah. That show, this was a, a, an experiment found in Japan in 2009, it significantly improved memory. Mm -hmm. So the great news is that Olfaction and the olfactory processing in the brain is a really good indication as to how you're doing. And if you're not doing so well, that's an alert signal to help you to do all the other things which can counterbalance, uh, yeah. counterbalance that. And you can take essential oils, which have been shown by science to improve the progress of neurological, some neurological uh, conditions. It's exciting. It's, it's really exciting that they're doing more research on that. Thank you for sharing that. So you, you were talking about how it's a constant um, neural refresh, if you will, <laughs> every decade and just kind of on the olfactory side and, and brain health, what's kind of happening each decade to us as our brain, you know, kind of, it starts to naturally degenerate, right? Over time. Now, this is, an, this is another gobsmacker. For your for your listeners, okay, right? we're conceived old. We're conceived old. Biologists say we're conceived ancient. Okay, because the biologists of aging have discovered an enormous amount now about the the, the genetic mechanisms which cause us to age, and there are some. And eventually, we'll get to the bottom of the whole thing, and then we'll be able to. We'll produce an anti-aging tablet, I've no doubt about. Wow. Okay. But those mechanisms that contribute to our biological aging throughout our life, present in the embryo, when the old sperm cell jumps inside the egg, 
right? Those yeah. mechanisms are there already. So, so we are conceived ancients. <laughs> what a concept. Then throughout childhood, aging, if you like, declines or the, the, the risk of aging, the risk of death. Biologists define aging as the risk of death. The risk of death declines throughout childhood. So childhood is a good time for the brain because its development exceeds any kind of aging mechanism that's taking place there. Okay. But then in our 20s and 30s, no, let me pause for a moment. At two years of age, the brain is 80% of its final mature size. At age two, okay. Yes. For those with little children, at two years of age, they've got 80% of your, your capacity. Wow. 80% of it. I mean, it all kicks off when they're here, doesn't it? You know, they've been walking a bit, they, they start to talk. Yeah. The brain, the brain, when the brain's developing in the uterus, it, it's uh, on a tight schedule. <laughs> it's on a tight schedule. Yeah. Uh, 250,000 new brain cells a minute. Oh, it's busy. You, you, pregnant, you pregnant ladies out there, look after yourselves, right? Because yeah. 250,000 cells a minute just in the brain. It's enormous. Now, the human female pelvis has been pushed to its limits to keep, to keep us walking and deliver the, in birth the size of that head of the child. Wow. It's a miracle of evolution, really, that it can do that. The brain continues to grow massively until two years of age. The rate slows down a bit. Do you know how old we are when that process is completed? About 25 years of age. Okay. The cells in the brain and the maturity, the number of, uh, the, the, the basic circuitry is all completed by, by the age of uh, 25. But in our late 20s and 30s, we can, we can already detect some deterioration in brain function. Wow. It's tiny. So 25 is our peak, would you say? And then it starts to go down after that? Uh, in terms of the organic complexity and size of the brain, it peaks at 25. But in terms of how the brain works, it's just the start. Oh, I like that. <laughs> this idea that we decline rapidly, certainly from middle-aged onwards, and we're on a downward trajectory, is not true. Right. Although you can detect these little changes in the 20s and 30s, visuospatial awareness, if you give people tests about where an object is in space and how quickly it's moving and where they are in relation to it, there are psychologists have got weird and wonderful te tests for that. You can detect a little bit of, it slows down, it slows down uh, uh, a little bit. But throughout, throughout life, the, the brain does deteriorate physically. Um, for example, the number of gray cells, okay. the quality and the number of connections between them declines, the size of the fluid spill, fill spaces in the brain, the ventricles, they expand. Okay. But there's so much capacity in the brain and there's so much redundancy built into the brain that you can overcome this by the things that you do and the life that you lead. And not only can we put our boots on the throat of aging, we can also reverse some of the aging processes in the brain. 
Let me get, and, and we can do that at, at, at the at the oldest age. You can do that at ninety. You can re, you can start to reverse brain aging at the age of ninety. I'll give you a good example. Do you like me to? Do yes, that? please give us some practical tips and examples. Okay, um, there isn't any silver bullet. There are hundreds of things that in our lifestyle that contribute to this. Okay. But if there was a silver bullet, to my view, um, exercise would be it. And people hate hearing that. You know, I've got to get off my chair and I've got to do things and stuff and it gets difficult and I'm either too busy or too tired or I've got too much work or there's too much going on around me or, uh, you know, I'm fatigued and I like sitting down and watching the TV and or the theatre or uh, we sit down to do everything. So people yeah. Hearing that, and there are two sides to the coin. One is purposeful exercise reverses brain aging, but you can undermine completely the benefits of exercise by being a couch potato. Okay. To that coin, right? I mean, I'd ask anybody: Is exercise an antidote to smoking or being an alcoholic? We'll stop. Yeah. Exercise your way out of smoking or over drinking can't do that so you can't exercise your way out of, bre of brain decline right unless you have a high level of physical activity okay so if you sit down for more than 10 hours a day you've got a really massively increased the amount of exercise you do to make okay beyond what we could normally tolerate so the rule for exercise is 150 minutes of aerobic exercise a week. So you could say two days off a week, five days of the half an hour. Okay. Mod moderate to intense exercise. Okay. Does that what? include walking? Brisk walking, pushing Brisk yourself. Brisk walking, okay. There was a paper published this week. I think it was the University of Leicester. And, uh, University of Leicester found if you walk quickly, you extend your life by four to five years over so middle age. Wow. I, I want to live for happy years. Yeah. Yeah. So it has to be brisk walking. Now, brisk walking, tennis, not, not, not Wimbledon tennis. Or right, right. <laughs> ball over the net a little bit, all right? Um, uh, bowls. Yes. People like to, like to do bowls. Uh, jogging, cycling. That kind of thing, or brisk walking, if you're really pushing yourself, so you notice you're breathing more. If you notice you're breathing more, that's brisk walking. If you're just ambling along and, you know, you, you don't notice you're breathing heavy. So you just got to pick up, pick up the pace a little bit. Now, what happens when we do that? We produce proteins in the blood. Those proteins go to the brain and they produce a chemical in the brain called BDNF. Brain derived neurofactor. And that chemical gives birth to thousands of brain cells. So when you're doing your 30 minutes of heavy breathing every day, right, you're producing thousands of new brain cells. And also, you, you are um, doubling the number of mitochondria in the cells of the brain. The mitochondria are little batteries that, 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 that 
develop energy. Now, if I'm fat and unfit and I'm sitting in my chair and I'm doing nothing, I've maybe got a thousand batteries in every cell, giving a little bit of energy each time. But if I exercise regularly, I can double that to about 2,000 mitochondria. And it gives me more energy, but it also improves the processing in the brain. Professor Erickson in Pittsburgh in 2011 did a test on two groups of people over a year. He got one group to exercise, on, on, as I've just described, and uh, one, the other half just to do stretching exercises and nothing else. Okay. Uh, and when they looked at their imaging of their brains at the end of that year, people who did the exercise, their brains were younger by 2%. He increased the size of the hippocampus, which is an important area of memory learning by 2%. Now, that's actually a 4% improvement because you'd lose 2% over a year, naturally. Most processes in the body decline by 1% to 2% per year past the ah. So you'd have lost 2%, but they didn't. They gained 2%. That's how great it was. It's a bit like compound interest. So the next year they do that, they're up by 4%, and then it's another 4% on that 104. Ah. The next year, it's another 4% on their 108%. You see what I'm saying? It's yeah. Reversing, it's reversing brain aging. That's wonderful. So everybody get out there for 30 minutes. I can't bring to mind any experiments. There probably, there probably is some work, but I would have to be dissuaded other than to think that essential oils and that extra processing or using your sense of smell doesn't do that. Of course, it, of course it, it, it improves the, the cortical uh, process. It's got to improve that cortical processing. But um, it's got to be demanding, challenging, it's got to be sustained, you've got to concentrate on it. So olfactory training has been shown to improve the state of cortical processing in the brain. Could we just talk briefly about memory and olfactory and, and brain health? Sure. I think uh, decline in what we call working memory, well, that does increase a little bit as we get older, but not as much as people think. It's because we worry about it more and we think we're losing it when it happens. How do I know this? Because the University of Edinburgh did some research and they found it happens almost as much in younger people as in older people. Oh, right? that's reassuring. People, younger <laughs> people shrug it off and don't worry about it. And therefore, it, it, it's not as acute, whereas if you worry about, you know, it's like anything else. If you worry about it, it'll get worse. Yeah. yeah. And there are, there are many strategies you can do to improve your working memory. Okay. Some, what we call cognitive performance or some mental skills improve with age. Okay. So vocabulary improves with age. Using words improves with age. Oh. Getting the better of people, right? So connivance, intuition, skill, strategy skills, right? Wisdom, get better with age. Okay. Some skills get worse with age. Memory is one of them. But the great thing is there's lots you can do to improve 
um, memory. Lots of things you can do. Okay. It's not a single thing that you, you do on any day. It's the single things you do every day that bring about that improvement. So send for chocolate. Everybody thinks chocolate's good for the brain. So is eating fish or omega-3 oils, right? If I have a tablet of one of those a week or I eat a little bit of dark chocolate, I'm going to be fine. No, you're not. <laughs> Too if bad. it isn't a way of life, it won't make a difference. Yeah. It's a bit like taking one antibiotic tablet and then expecting that to cure your illness. Yeah, yeah. You've got to take the whole course. In our case, it's your whole life course. That's right. You've got to do these things. You've got to, you've got to develop a wonderful lifestyle. None of this stuff is onerous or difficult or hard. We're not asking you to run a marathon every month. Just do some exercise. We're not asking you to revolutionize your diet. Just understand what you need to get from food in order to improve your brain. And you can, you can do that. So although we worry about working memory, there's lots that you can do. And as I mentioned earlier, um, memory can be improved by uh, essential oils. How does that work? Well, I'm in awe of essential oils. I am in absolute awe of them. There's something like 3,000 each one has got between 100 and 200 active ingredients. That's right. Yeah. Some of them have got 400 active ingredients. Yes. The rose is very complex. Yes. Yeah. And terpenes, which are the majority constituent of uh, these active principles, class, is the largest class of chemical compounds in nature. These wonderful essential oils are nature's pharmaceutical factory. And the pharmaceutical factories and science is just beginning to, to realize that. And then they've looked at how they operate on the body. They, go, they affect the four classes of transmitter substance in the brain. They act on all of them, not one of them. They act on all of them. They act on the immune system. They act on the endocrine system. At a really sophisticated chemical level, these are treasures. So memory, right, and, it, and essential oils and olfaction, they're totally integrated in, uh, in, my, in, in my view. Yeah, yeah. Learning a memory in the brain, the big one is the, is the hippocampus. You breathe an essential oil. The essential oils are small, about two principles, 30 Daltons, like 30 tiniest of- Tiny things, yeah, yeah. Together, 30 Daltons, right? Well, they either go through the nose, directly into the olfactory bulb, and then whammo right through the nervous system, or you breathe them in, they go into the blood, lungs, yeah, into the lungs, then into the circulation, they go to the brain, and the brain is protected by the blood-brain barrier. So in other words, the blood vessels there are tightly glued together. They're glued together by immune cells. How about that? Yeah. So they're tightly glued. Um, and things can't get through. The way scientists discovered this, they, they got people to drink a, a chemical dye, a colour, right? And they found that it went everywhere in the body. It's harmless. It went everywhere in the body except in the brain. Wow. Thought, so, oh, that's interesting. Tell you what, we'll now inject it into the brain and see if it gets out. So they injected the dye into the brain. Guess what? It didn't get out either. 
Wow. Came, came to the obvious conclusion there's some kind of strict barrier there that's stopping things getting out that the brain needs and stopping things getting in that the brain doesn't need. Essential oils, whoosh, right through. So this is why rosemary and peppermint enable you to concentrate better and to be sharper for longer. It's affecting the transmitter substances in the brain and those particular processes yep. in a very refined way. Lavender won't do it. Lavender does the opposite. Right. And that is still working on through these transmitter substances. Hugely complex. But it's nature's way of looking after the brain. We've just got to understand it. Now, the brain retains memories of smells. So you breathe them in. And as a child, as a young person, as you go through life, you learn to identify more and more and more. You can be trained to do that. You can be trained to identify them. Then the next thing the brain does is to memorize each of those and to set up a library. Yep. So they can compare one to the other and you can distinguish one to the other. Yes. We go back to psychophysics now, that just noticeable difference between one and the other. Yep. Yep. That's the manifestation or the psychology of it. But in the neural processing, you've got uh, nervous signals and transmission going on in the brain on a fast scale in order to, it's hugely, uh, hugely complex. Yeah. Now, all our memories have got access to all other memories. The brain doesn't put them in hermetically sealed boxes and you say you've got, you know, you've got a, a memory for red and it, 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 you can't use that in relation to some romantic red rose you see on the <laughs> Memories. It's an open book. So all our experiences of life, all the memories that we have and the way that the brain uses them is open to olfaction and all the olfactory memories as well. That's usually important. Yeah. Those are those lovely scent memories that we have. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I loved your questions. That you, I know you're going to ask me at the end about what's the biggest odiferous event in your life and all, 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 the, uh, all, the, all the rest of it. Yeah, well, everyone has those unless you have an, a, an olfactory um, uh, dysfunction, which is uh, very difficult, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, and as a general principle, as an experienced scientist, I would say that there's always hope that science will either mitigate that uh, inefficiency or sometimes even be able to cure that inefficiency. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's talk about some practical things that we can do for brain health. You mentioned exercise is a big one, but I imagine there's a couple of others. So well, it's exercise only... plus an active lifestyle. Remember, it's a head and a tail on that coin. You can't okay. do it without the other. It, it. If you do your 30 minutes of exercise a day, you will generate these thousands of brain cells. Um, but if you're not active, 
they won't be maintained. Okay. So you have to you have to be physically active as well. Let me give you an example. When I worked in an office in London, I was on the second second floor of the building, and there were about ten floors in the building. Now, of course, there's a men's room on every floor of the building, but whenever I needed to go to the men's room, I'd leave my desk and I'd walk up to the top floor. Ah, so little things like that. Yeah. yeah. And then I'd come down again. I'd never sit for more than an hour, 40 minutes, 45 minutes before I get up. I go to the water cooler and I go to the water cooler on the next floor. Do you know what that did? That enabled me to meet other people I didn't normally work with. James, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm getting my exercise and I'm getting my water and I'm talking to you. <laughs> yes, yes. Or I'd go downstairs to the guy on the door. Well, that was brilliant. The security guy on the door, he knew everybody's secrets. He knew who was going where, with whom, what they were doing and how they were doing <laughs> he just knew it all. Right? At the same time, I was exercising going down and exercising going up. Yeah. Walking the dog is another brilliant one. You know I mean, they're, you know, or recreational activities. Now, things like um, uh, managing stress through Tai Chi, yoga, mindfulness. It's not mumbo jumbo. There's evidence, proper scientific evidence, that Tai Chi and yoga and mindfulness with all, will all protect your brain health. But you've got to do it regularly across your life it's no good going for a yoga course and then forgetting it for a year or two and then oh but you better yet no that would it's about consistency and commitment as far as i'm concerned you just have to it's consistency and then because i say that even um for olfactory training that i do um i'm i'm also working on helping people who have a sense of smell but to really fine-tune their sense of smell um through through training like that now, I would say regularly use aromatherapy or essential oils because we know the benefits of essential oils, but it's got to be an informed use. I would put essential oils in with controlling stress because if you want to damage your brain health, stress yourself out. Now, contrary to what most people think, stress is good for you. The human body was designed for stress, but it wasn't designed for excess stress. Uh -huh. Stress, everybody knows. Everybody knows when they're getting stressed out. Now, some people aren't happy unless they're jumping out of an airplane. One person I know did it without a parachute. So uh, other people aren't happy unless they climb a mountain without using a rope. Oh my goodness me, that, right? Other people, right, just getting through the day is enough. Just getting through the day. It's true. Oh. No, you don't have to be an adrenaline junkie. Just getting through the day is enough, but you've got to control that stress. So. Art, art, neurosthetics it is absolutely superb for controlling stress. And there's a science behind it. We know how the appreciation of art, discussing art, drawing and painting, we know how all these activities reduce stress in the brain, music. I just did an interview with Radio Scala in, in Britain uh, about uh, music, and, music and the brain. Music is a wonderful way. It changes our mood. It changes our level of arousal. It helps us to relax. It washes away toxic materials in the body. Honestly, it's just music is, is fabulous. 
I mentioned Tai Chi, yoga, and mindfulness. I, I, I mentioned all those. Now, alcohol. Does alcohol uh, um, influence brain health? Yes, it does. Now, people will argue about this, but my view is that if you drink within the recommended guidelines, that's beneficial to the brain. For a start, it cleans out the, the drainage system of the brain called lymphatics. Oh, yeah. Improves white matter function. But that's one drink for most women and two drinks for most men. That's a general guideline. Now, if you regularly consume more than that, you're putting your brain health at risk. But it doesn't mean you, you can't, um, it doesn't mean that you can't have a good time now and again. Can I ask you a question about, um, you know, you mentioned art and listening to music. You know, I'm thinking those are all different senses that we're using to enjoy that. Yeah. And I just feel, because I spent a long time in the perfume industry, so I've been around a lot of perfumers, and obviously now with aromatherapy, and I just find that there's not a lot of evidence yet, but it's just empirical based on what I'm seeing, seeing that there's something about creating a perfume or engaging with, with essences and whatever, molecules with, with yeah in an artistic way, but through your sense of smell, there's an opportunity there to also work on brain health. And I know we don't have the evidence for that yet. I think there's been, there's one study that was done just to analyze perfumers' brains to see. Well, let me much. give you that nice, warm, cozy feeling about. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be reassured that what I have seen is actually a positive effect on brain health? Yeah. My view would be creativity without doubt is a super, supremely human asset, which has developed over the 1.52 million years since we became hunter-gatherers. And we were truly human 200,000 years ago. And the earliest cave paintings are about 64,000 years ago. This creativity of humans is an essential human attribute. And why is it there? Because it's rewarding to the brain. It's an activity of the brain which gives us a feeling of reward for doing it. And that contributes to our sense of well-being. Okay. It helps us to balance our emotions, negative against positive. The three features of brain health. How well am I thinking? How well am I interacting socially? And how well do I feel? Not how well do I feel, right? It generates creativity and creativity reinforces it and rewards it. So insofar that that sense of accomplishment and relaxation and excitement and arousal, insofar that those are a part of creativity and making perfumes, it's going to have that generalized effect on uh, on brain health. Of course, if you are a very creative perfume maker and you go out and drink two bottles of champagne a day, right? You know what I'm saying? Or there were smokers too. There were you know, perfumers who you're were not going to be able to creative yeah, yeah. aids, if I can use that word, your bad drinking. This is this it's not one thing, it's a, it's everything you do. It's all connected. Yeah, yeah. It's all connected. Okay. Does it feel any better? Uh, it does make me feel it 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 gives me 
confidence to say or to feel that, you know, even through your sense of smell, there are ways you can help your brain health, which is wonderful. Uh, you, you, you can, and, and uh, olfaction is as important as any other sense in the body in its own, uh, in its own right. You can't use olfaction to identify a missile on its way, like a spear on the way to you. Yeah. Right? Each sense is there to give us a complete and comprehensive appreciation of this rapidly moving environment around us. Yeah. The human brain has used olfaction in order to navigate all the survival pressures, pressures that have, have been imposed upon us by, uh, but by nature. And come on, olfaction gives us such pleasure. The human brain is designed for pleasure. Whether that's olfaction or touch or social experience, social life is another great one for brain health. Number one, you can smell other people. Yeah. Even though it might be below the threshold of identification, those aromas still and, and play they still reach you yeah. part in forming social relationships. This goes back to our evolution. You can't untoast what's been toasted. You can't unsmell what's been smelled. Right. And when you're mixing with other people, their odors and they've even psychologists have even found that unwittingly people put their hand to their nose after they've shaken hands with somebody else. Interesting. This frequency of putting your hand to your nose when you've had physical contact with somebody else. And people don't notice it and it's there in the brain embedded 1.5 from 1.5 million years. Wow. Social lives involve olfaction and it's hugely important because without the group, humans would never have survived to be where we are today. And that's why loneliness destroys the brain. When you're hungry, the warning light of you need food comes on. When you're thirsty, the warning light of you need water comes on. When you're lonely, the warning light of you need company comes on. We are built to be in a group. Part of that group is smell and part of it is olfaction. I mean, think about meals, gathering for meals and oh, that's smelling the meals. City. Yes, that's, that's olfaction city. city. <laughs> You've got natural people smells. You've got any perfume or any other smell that they put on them. You've got the smell of their clothes. You've got the smell of where they've been because they, they'll bring that in with them. Yes. But the smell of fine wine. You've maybe got candlesticks burning. They may be aromatic. Yeah. Just the smell of the home in general. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole thing is a eating and dining out together. It's smell city. It's just. It's a uh, wonderful way to take care of all like those to, things that you said. Of. Yeah. Even dogs like, like, even dogs like to eat together. Ah. At the same time. It's a social activity. Yeah. And you've got taste, smell, company. Yeah. Coziness. People need feel protected. I would argue it goes back to your point about, you know, the three things and one of them being feeling. It's a feeling you have when you're with others. Yeah, it is. Shall we go to the three questions? Sure. 
I always like to ask my guests three questions at the end, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing your answers, James. So we'll start with question number one. What is your favorite smell right now? It can be any smell in the world and just what you're feeling right now. Talking well, about we're feeling. going into the summer and there's nothing better for me than the smell of barbecued food. Ah, yes. That, the, 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 the wonderful aroma that comes out of cooking fat. It's fat that contains most of the taste and most of the aromas aren't in, they're in the fat in the meat. Yes. Onions that are on the barbecue, that wonderful barbecue smell. I mean, I can't encapsulate it any, any better. That's my favorite smell right now. I, I, every time I walk outside now, somebody's cooking a barbecue. Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's the best. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so great. All right. My second question is, do you have a favorite scent memory that you could share? Yes, I do. Uh, as a young man, I was traveling through the United States and uh, I was in Roanoke, Virginia. It was a, a group, of, group of four of us. And we, uh, we just pulled in off the road onto, uh, into a motel. I was in my early 20s, I think, probably still at university, probably still a student. And there were a couple by the pool. And they said, oh, you guys, we said hello to them, said, oh, you're Brits. Oh, yeah, come over, come over and, and, and talk to us. And they were drinking something I'd never seen or tasted before. That was um, bourbon. In Britain in those days, you might get bourbon in the Savoy Club in London, but everybody else, it's scotch. Ah. And I didn't like scotch, not so much anyway. Maybe I had to, to be very picky about what I drunk. And he got bourbon, and it was a wonderful bourbon. It was wild turkey. Oh. That's a wonderful bourbon, right? And, for the, and he poured a glass of this for me and threw some ice in it. And I put it to my mouth, and I aromas. I can remember it now. Unlike Scott whiskey, it wasn't sour or peaty or smoky. Yeah. It was sweet. And it smelled of vanilla and licorice. All these delightful smells and tastes of childhood. I couldn't believe this. And I drank it and it was so smooth and the aroma filled the back of my nose. And it had what people call a long finish as it went down. And it was warming and inviting. Wow. Yeah. So my all favorite ever smell experience is my first experience to uh, bourbon. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's wonderful. And then my final question is, what would you say are five smells that best describe you? Me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the best, sm the, the, the smell that other people would say define me will be sandalwood. Oh. Because uh, I settled on um, sandalwood as a grooming perfume, male grooming perfume. And there is a, a DR, DR Harris is a, is a compounding pharmacy in London that makes up its own stuff. So I can get sandalwood soap, sandalwood pre-shave, sandalwood aftershave, sandalwood talcum powder. Wow. So it's layered. And I know that from my personal experience, most of the women I encounter love sandalwood, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I love it too. So that's a win-win for me. Right, right. <laughs> so, Sandalwood, I love that. Now, 
I am a professor. Actually, I'm not what people think when I say I'm a professor. I was a military officer for 25 years. So I've seen the real world and, you know, been kicked about a bit. And I've led men, which is a real privilege. Mm. She showed me I was an infantry officer, five years in the regular army and 20 years in, in the reserve. Right. So, so I'm not, I'm not died in the wool academic. I, I left the army, went back to university. But my, my other two smells are academic smells. They're rosemary and peppermints, because as people will know if they've been listening. Yes. <laughs> Peppermint, switch on the brain and they would think so that's my intellectual smells <laughs> very good very good that makes sense okay and equally because i like to relax at the end of the day and because it's quintessentially english or at least i think it is lavender mm, it is growing up as a child you'd go into the big country homes of england as a tourist just walking around them and in the summer Right, they'd throw lavender on the floor underneath the bedroom windows and the cool night air would come in and pick up the lavender and fill the bedroom with it. And they knew that it was soporific. Uh So I love that old English relaxing smell of uh, lavender. Oh, sounds wonderful. Yeah. That's four. Uh, The last one, strawberry. Ooh, I like that. One of my favorite desserts. Yes. Is strawberries and cream, strawberries and cream and vanilla ice cream. Mm. (laughs) I think strawberry is just, it's the summer. Yes. It's the summer. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me, James. I really appreciate it. I, your insights are absolutely wonderful and they're going to be helpful to a lot of people. So I really want to thank you for joining me. You've been a great host. Uh, You've got me to talk more than I normally do. (laughs) And I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast. And invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.